When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast with me, Angie Mazzetti. My guest this episode on International Women's Day week, or month, we could say at this stage, is the chair of the Bar Council of Ireland, Sarah Phelan. She's only the third woman ever to be elected to this position in the organisation's 125-year history. The Bar is the organisation that represents barristers in Ireland. The Bar Council have just launched their Equitable Briefing Policy, which asks that solicitors, in-house legal teams, government departments and others needing a barrister make all reasonable endeavours to consider gender when selecting a diverse panel of barristers. The purpose of this is an effort to redress the under-representation of female counsel at senior levels and in the superior courts and to continue to improve the visibility of female expertise in certain areas of practice and there could be benefits for men too. Equitable briefing really means equality across the profession so that in some areas perhaps women are underrepresented in terms of the work that they do, and in other areas, perhaps men are underrepresented in, in, in terms of that practice area. Tactics are one area that the new document mentions. While the strict legal advice will remain the same to a client, a diverse panel could make a difference to the approach or to the use of different tactics. It's often about perspective. I think sometimes, depending on where you come from, you might have a more holistic view of how something will work out rather than the very straight legal answer. And depending upon who the client is, a more holistic view might actually be very important, or it may not be important at all. On career advice for women, networking, she says, is vitally important. And Sarah believes you have to do it, and sometimes it can push us women out of our comfort zones, but that's okay. I I do think we need to look at other opportunities to, to, to network whether that is by way of, you know, continuing education development, giving CPDs, giving seminars, going to talks, going to things, going to conferences, and actually making yourself available and putting yourself out there. Sarah Phelan's pearls of wisdom are great and well worth staying tuned for. Do join us for a very special Women in Leadership podcast. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today on the Women in Leadership podcast. Sarah, I had a look at your CV and it's more than just impressive. Uh, And I don't know where to start. So you're a barrister. You were a pharmacist, I presume once a pharmacist, always a pharmacist, a novice whitewater kayaker. 
You're a cancer survivor and now you're chair of the Council of the Bar of Ireland. That is seriously impressive. How did that all happen? Well, I suppose it is a bit eclectic, Angie. I mean, where do, where do I start? Um, let's start with the last first. So I was elected chair of the Bar of Ireland last July and I took over in September. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, very excited. And it's a huge privilege, I have to say, to, I suppose, be in a leadership position for, for, for the profession in, in Ireland. And I'm a quarter way through my term. Ikes, it's, it's flying. It's very busy. Lots to do. Lots of different things to do. And of course, the day job has to get done in the background as well. Okay, um, a bit of a boys club. There's only been three women in the job and I presume they've all been in recent years, have they? They haven't actually. Mela Carroll uh, was the first woman um, chair back in 1979. And then my immediate predecessor, Maura McNally, was the next. So there was about a 40-year gap between Mela Carroll and Maura McNally. And then thankfully no gap between Maura and me. And, and long may that continue. So that ultimately I would hope that it just is something that won't be remarked upon, whether it's a woman or a man who is actually leading the bar. Linda Doyle, the Provost of Trinity, said the hard part is not just opening the door, it's keeping the door ajar, <laughs> you know, setting up. So you've done quite a lot in your first quarter of your term and you've, you've set out to improve gender diversity in your role as chair of the council. You're leading this bar of Ireland's equitable briefing policy and I see it was launched last week. So what is the equitable briefing policy? And for those of us who aren't barristers or know anything about the legal profession, what is briefing? Actually, that's a really good question. And briefing is the word that we use when we receive instructions from a solicitor. So most of our work has to come through solicitors. We don't deal with the public directly. So a member of the public will instruct a solicitor for whatever issue or problem they have. And then that solicitor decides to instruct or brief a barrister. So that's where the, that's where the word comes from. And equitable briefing really means equality across the profession so that in some areas perhaps women are underrepresented in terms of the work that they do and in other areas perhaps men are underrepresented in in, in terms of that practice area. So the idea is is that we're asking solicitors or other briefing entities such as in-house counsel or the state for that matter that when they are instructing barristers they would look beyond their normal pool of people that they use. Because I think ultimately, we're all creatures of habit. We revert to type so that if I'm looking for somebody to do something, I'll probably just think of the last person that did something similar and I'll go to them if they did a good job. And we're really asking solicitors and and other briefing entities that they would expand that pool. So obviously, when a client needs a barrister, the first thing is they need a barrister with the requisite skill, experience, expertise, seniority. But thereafter, if, there, if a solicitor would normally brief a, a male, well, then they might consider briefing a female who has all those attributes of seniority, etc. And, and likewise, if a solicitor would normally brief a female, that they might consider briefing a male. And really, it's about bringing diversity across the whole profession, because I, I think with the more diverse representation, I mean, society is becoming much more diverse. We have a much more diverse society now than we had 40, 50 years ago, even 20 years ago, probably. And therefore, if you have more people from different backgrounds acting and representing citizens and and, and individuals, then I think there's a diversity of opinion, of perception, of expertise, 
and I think that just leads to better outcomes for everybody. I think that's what the business world has certainly Absolutely. learned. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the words that jumped out at me was tactics, that there's a, a diversity in tactics, which I hadn't thought or I haven't seen. In, in, and I read a lot of stuff about diversity and inclusion. So do you think that, you know, a more diverse, uh, you know, choice of people in the briefing, it actually makes a difference in tactics, that the tactics that, that people might use? I think it does, because I think... We all, I suppose, we all bring our own personal experience to bear on the work that we do. Now, obviously, the legal advice is the same. I mean, it's, it's either right or it's wrong or it's permissible or not permissible to do something or whatever you're doing is, is within the parameters of the law that you're talking about. So I, I don't think diversity is, is necessarily an issue when it comes down to straight, forward, hard legal advice. But I do think it, the way we approach matters may be different. The way we might discuss matters with a client, the way we might perhaps persuade a client that it's a better to approach an issue this way rather than that way. That and, and, and I think our whole personal experience does come to bear on that. So if, if that's tactics, yes, I do think that actually does make a difference. And I think sometimes, depending on where you come from, you might have a more holistic view of how something will work out rather than the very straight legal answer. And depending upon who the client is, a more holistic view might actually be very important or it may not be important at all. And that very much depends on the client, depends upon the, the situation, depends upon the vulnerabilities of the client maybe, whether it's a large corporation or whether it is a, a family law client where obviously the ramifications of, of, of a decision of how to run a case can, can actually run very deep and can affect a whole family or more. And I presume employment law would be huge there as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything, I think, where there is, if, if I can call it a human factor, but also perhaps in, in, in commercial areas where obviously there are still relationships and two entities who are maybe having a dispute in court may actually want a continuing professional, personal, professional business relationship thereafter and then I think that also comes to play yeah but you can kind of understand people going back to the people that they've worked with before they're comfortable they they think that they know the way they think and it's just easier I think uh, I think it was a, a lecture in DCU Malrona Coran said to me it's like cognitive miserliness it's kind of it saves us having to think if we can just go back and do things the way they always were but sometimes it's good to see that holistic that bigger picture yeah. isn't it but I think I think it's really good to actually propel yourself out of your comfort zone because if you're always working within your comfort zone, that's great. Life is quite easy, but maybe you can achieve more and strive to achieve more if you move out of that comfort zone. And that can apply for lots of different areas and lots of different things. But certainly if you, as a briefing entity, move out of the comfort zone in terms of who you're instructing, then you may actually you may actually be surprised at how at how things work out for the better for the better <laughs> at the launch you said that the new equitable briefing policy is about raising awareness i mean surely to god we're already aware at this stage do you think there are pockets though of people who are just haven't quite got it yet or they're they're moving to action is kind of a little harder than they thought i don't think we can ever be comfortable about raising awareness because as you say you 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 can fall back into your comfort zone again. And yes, of course, we should be far more gender aware now than we might have been 50 or 60 years ago. But to be honest, this whole area of diversity and gender awareness 
It's a discussion that's going on right across the community. We have it, we've women in finance. We have one, you know, one of your previous interviewees was talking about the difficulties in academia and, and the, the lack of women leaders in academia. So it's, it's the same in, in, in the STEM professions. Even last week, there was a, an, an article in one of the UK papers about increasing the number of women adjudicators in, construct, in construction adjudication. So it's going on everywhere. And I, I think the, the legal profession is just one of those professions. When you make people aware, that's the first step. And then you have, it, it comes up on agendas and people tick boxes. But how do you make sure, like we were saying earlier, the door stays open, that it's mainstreams, it becomes the norm to have gender diversity, all kinds of diversity. How do we mainstream that? Where's, where's the norm to expect in, in gender diversity in teams? I think it starts with awareness and education. It moves on then to... I suppose, building a, a coalition, building collegiality, um, working, I suppose, networking in many respects. That, that is something I think that's really important. And I, I know I'm harking back to a, an, another discussion I heard a little while ago where, you know, networking is, networking is actually work. And I think that's actually one of Melrona Coran's um, um, sayings. Um, you know, it, it's all about you take the work and then you network. Whereas I think sometimes women are maybe a little more reluctant to do the networking. Maybe it's not quite within our psyche. Maybe we have other things that we need to be doing. And But I actually think networking for us all is really important. And it should be built into our, our, our work profile, I suppose. This is one thing that I do to build my, build my work, build my contacts. And then obviously by building those contacts, the, the, the hope is that in years to come, it, the, the, it will just be a level, a level playing pitch. Um, do, you, do you kind of think it's, it's much easier for men to network? It, it kind of comes naturally to them. I shouldn't say that, but it does seem to anyway, that you know, women, like you see two women out for a walk, women like to go in with somebody else. It's just the way we're, we're brought up, I think, and it's intuitive to us. You know, that, that networking tends to be outside of, you know, the, the, work, the working hours. It tends to be, you know, times when we'd rather be doing something else, maybe playing a game of tennis or minding children or visiting grandma or whatever. You know, so do we need to push ourselves a little bit as women just to get out there and do it? You don't have to do it every day, but just to do it a little bit. I think we do. And again, I think it comes back to your comfort zone. And I think we do actually need to push ourselves out of that a little. I, I think a lot of it is societal. So, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm being very, um, I suppose, I'm, I'm looking at type at the moment, but, you know, it seems to be more, I'm, I'm not saying more acceptable, but often you will find men going to play a round of golf together. I know women play golf too, and, and that is certainly on the up, but, but historically I think it was more that men would network and play golf together. Possibly, I think, think this may have changed a little, but, you know, go for a few drinks after work on a Friday. And again, I think you would find that that was more of a, a male thing rather than a female. So I do, I, I do think we need to look at other opportunities to, to, to network, whether that is by way of, you know, continuing education development, giving CPDs, giving seminars, going to talks, going to things, going to conferences and actually making yourself available and putting yourself out there. And that I don't think, it's certainly not something that comes naturally to me. 
I, I absolutely have to work on it. To be honest, I'd, I'd prefer to be off walking the dog than than necessarily doing something like like, like networking. But I just realise how important it is. And as I've grown older or more mature, I, I, I think I've come to realise how much more important it is. Another one of my interviewees said um, one of her pearls of wisdom was make friends before you need them. And I think that's so yes. clever. Like you can meet people and you think you have like nothing that might come to future, but you never know. And I know of another woman, a neighbour of mine, who met somebody through LinkedIn and three years later she ended up working for this woman simply by clicking saying, I think this is a great idea. Absolutely. <laughs> and that was in England, a woman she'd never met before. You know, so you never know where things can go to. Now you mentioned CPD there that's a way that companies like solicitors firms that uh, maybe departments in in government or county councils they can do something to help can't they so you've mentioned you know continuous professional development you know as some of the ways that people can help how do you think that can work how can they be implemented I think that's really important because what we can do at the bar is we have a number of specialist bar associations now we, we 17 actually they've become quite popular and each of those focuses on a different area of work. So the idea is that those specialist bar associations might identify up-and-coming junior counsel, male or female, and help promote them by linking in with solicitors in whatever area of business it is that, 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 that they're involved. And putting their members out there as, as available to go into solicitor firms and give CPD talks or give seminars or partake on a panel discussion, for instance. And it's, you know, for, from a senior counsel perspective, most of the time you've, you've acquired your expertise at that particular stage. But I think it's really important to identify up and coming juniors so therefore, when more senior juniors take silk or move on in the profession, there is a succession stream there. And I do think actually solicitor firms will appreciate that because one of the, I, th- I think one of the things we have heard from them is that when their choice of counsel either take silk or, or go to the bench, they're then left wondering, well, who else is available in this area that I can brief? So I, I think the bar and the solicitor's firms can, can, can both work together in terms of promoting promoting barristers. And I think you touched on something there, the whole mentoring and sponsorship of people. That's so important, particularly for women who may not have, you know, a legal family or a mm-hmm. network to help them. So, you know, do you think that's going to be part of your plan as well? Absolutely. We have a really good Law and Women Mentoring Programme here at the bar, and that's been running since 2016. We've I, I certainly over 100 graduates at this stage or alumni, as we call them, probably veering on the 120 at this stage. And the idea is, is that every year we, 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 we have a number of applicants and, and about 20 to 30 places. And we pair a junior barrister with a more senior barrister or with a judge. And that more senior barrister or judge can be male or female, but all of the mentees at the moment are female. And the idea is, is that it gives the mentee, I suppose, a safe place to talk about the issues that they have. And, and those issues are wide and varied. They, they could be about how to get work, could be about how to diversi- diversify in relation to work, could be about work-life balance. It could be about, I'm thinking of applying to become a judge. What do you think? Or I think I'm, I think of, I'm going to apply to take silk. Is that a good idea? How, there's so many different areas that... You know, you need somebody, a good mentor to just talk things through with. 
And obviously the idea with mentoring is that the, the mentee comes up with their own solutions rather than solutions being imposed upon them by the mentor. But obviously the mentor can advise. And then one thing that I'm really keen on is sponsorship. And because there's nothing like me or a senior person saying to a solicitor, look, Mary Smith or Joe Bloggs, they're, they're new, they're really good. I think you should give them a chance. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's all most of us need to get a foot in the door is the chance. And then once you get the chance, you either make it and make the most of it or you don't. But that's that, that's your responsibility. But it's actually getting the chance is really important. And I'm a huge, huge fan of sponsorship. And then when you get the chance, taking it. Because Absolutely. Because a lot of women, I know a lot of men too, but a lot of women tend to think, well, maybe somebody else is better than me. Maybe it's not right for me. And it, I think it comes back to that what you're saying, you know, having the courage to go and do it. So would, would that be part of your message to younger women? Oh, absolutely. And it's one of my pearls of wisdom. Say yes, and then worry about how you're going to do it. And I know that's something that it, it, it's a motto of Richard Branson's as well, and I'm sure lots of other people too. But I will always say yes. In fact, I, I get myself into trouble for saying yes too much and then become overcommitted, but that's another thing. But, you know, I think you have to say yes. You, you have to put yourself out there and you're available to do whatever it is. And then you figure out how to do it. Now, obviously, from a barrister's perspective, I'm not going to go and run a murder trial if I've never done crime. Or I'm not going to go in on a very significant commercial case if I've never done commercial work. But it comes back to, I think, just being open to take the leads, not having a very defined path in your mind, but rather being open to take whatever, whatever comes your way and then make the most of it. And doing the work. And doing the work mm. and doing it well. I believe more women, young women than men, study law in university, um, but women tend to go towards solicitors while the men tend towards the bar. Is that still the case? And why do you think that is? I've looked at the stats from our early years and in years one to seven at the moment, 41% of the intake is female. So that is that is good. I mean... It would not be nice if it were 50-50, but, you know, 40-60 is, is, is not a bad statistic. I think a lot of the time, graduates, and then this might be more said of more recent graduates, perhaps, they they like the idea of becoming a solicitor because it is, it's a defined career path. Generally speaking, their traineeship would be paid for and they get a, a good salary as, as a very young solicitor. And contrast that with the bar, which is a self-employed profession. And no matter what, we let, what way we look at it, it is self-employed. So there are, there are the, the pros and the cons of being self-employed. And I think we perhaps focus too much on the, on the cons, as in the, the difficulty in getting work. And, you know, there is a difficulty sometimes in getting paid as well. And we don't actually look on the, the benefits and I have to say, there are huge benefits to being a barrister. But I'm, obviously, there's the work benefits and, and the whole privilege that you have in terms of assisting individuals and clients with, with, with legal issues. And, you know, you've a window onto a client's life for a very short period of time. And there's a huge privilege in that and being able to assist them. But there are the, there are the, there's the other side of the benefits I don't have to answer to anybody when I, whether I start work at nine o'clock or ten o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning. 
Likewise, if I decide to take a half day, subject to having no court commitments, I can do that. So, for instance, I, I have a, well, he's now 16, but I mean, I never, I never missed one parent-teacher meeting. I never missed one school play or school outing when he was in primary school because I was able to block it off in the diary and say, that's sacrosanct. That's my half day. That's what I'm doing. And I didn't actually have to ask an employer for a half day or a day off. Not many people could do that. I don't think. No, I we're very lucky. <laughs> we are. We are very lucky. Now you don't get maternity leave, I presume, either. So that's a con, isn't it? That's a con, and it's a con that we were looking at. We certainly we have increased the supports around parenting, so maternal, paternal, and parental support, and and we've increased those. But also, we have. You, you can come to arrangements with colleagues in terms of maybe them looking after your work when you're out on maternity and then you may be repaying that favour when they're out or progressing it further, further down the line. I think people tend to think that maternity leave is such a huge part of life, but it's actually a very small window in a long career, isn't it? It is, and I suppose it depends on, it depends on your perspective and what you see as, as, as being important for you at the time. So I took, I took eight months off um, maternity leave. Now I was coming to, I, I was a mature mother, if I can put it that way, Angie. Uh, I had, you know, I, I was 39. So I'd, I'd had a lot of experience before that. Whereas younger practitioners may still be loath to take a lot of time off because they are afraid the work won't be there when they come back. But I really do think that is changing And I know, for instance, in many of the state agencies now in the Attorney General's office, there is a very understanding approach to maternity and and to general caring, because let's face it, some of us have older parents or relatives we need to care for, or perhaps younger children we need to care for in circumstances. And it's not just um, babies, but I, I, I think a lot of the firms and a lot of the agencies now are much more aware of how they have to cover that and how they have to deal with it. Because ultimately, they have their own internal work practices and policies that they have to put into place as well for their own employees. So I think, you know, we we should be able to benefit from those to some extent. Um, You've stated that you wanted the Bar Council to continue to attract and retain the talent and expertise that equips the Bar to thrive into the future. And that's terrific. But how do you intend to do that? How do you attract people who might think, oh, it's tough life and I don't know whether I could be in front of people or whatever the negatives people put or there's no maternity leave or whatever it is for paternity leave. Um, You know, how, how do you sell the Bar? I think our selling of the Bar has to start at a much younger age than we may have done heretofore. So we have an absolutely wonderful TY programme now called Look Into Law that has been going for, I think, about six or seven years. And that had a huge reach during COVID because it went online and I think we had about 10,000 students listening in um, over COVID. So we're actually going out to secondary schools and letting them know about the bar as a career. And we have also latterly started a university outreach programme So again, going out to the universities, not just final years, because I think at that stage their path is pretty much determined, but really starting at first and second year and educating them about what life at the bar is like. Because there are some myths out there. So I I was talking to a group of university students before Christmas and they were second years, I think. And one thing they had said to me was, you know, they thought it was only men could become barristers. Now, I was absolutely horrified to hear that from 
a group of university students in 2022. But obviously, that myth persisted. And we have to get out there to bust those myths. And then when entrants come into the bar, we have to make it as attractive and sustainable as possible. And I think you'd probably be aware, but a couple of years ago now, we commissioned Ernst Young to do a full review of, of, of the bar. And one of the one of the areas that they looked at was how we work as barristers and how we, how we attract in work and, 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 and how we how we work together. And that's a conversation we're continuing to have. And we're actually looking at that at the moment. We have a number of facilitated workshops and we'll be hopefully looking at seeing how the bar might actually continue into the future. And of course, you didn't come from a legal family yourself, so you've ploughed that field really, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, look, looking back, my mum was a primary school teacher and my dad was a farmer. And I never really wanted to do law. It never featured when I was in school. I liked maths, I liked chemistry, I liked physics, so I kind of went and did pharmacy. Uh, without thinking about it too much, and then realised that life as a community pharmacist was not for me. I, I learned very fast that really, if you were to be successful as a community pharmacist, you needed to have a very good business head and needed to be interested in the business side of things. And I never did a business subject. Uh, I don't think anybody would call me a good money manager, but that's another shinshkelel, as they say. And so then I started doing King's Inns, but more out of a personal development. I never still really wanted to be a barrister until I started the degree course in King's Inns and I started doing moot competitions or mock trial competitions and I got the bug and here I am. Thank God for that. Uh, tell me, what do you hope your legacy will be? And then we'll get on to our format questions. What do you think your legacy will be? My legacy as chair of the bar mm. would be to make sure that the bar that we have today is fully representative of society and that it is a bar that is fit for purpose for the next 450 years. No mean achievement. I'm sure you'll do it too. Tell me, what are your five pearls of wisdom? I was thinking about this. I think my, and, and, and some of them actually are pearls of wisdom that I, I looked at when I came into the bar 27 odd years ago. And the first is... I had taught myself, I was an awful worrier in my, in, in my 20s, and I taught myself that I wasn't going to worry about anything I'd no control over. So I don't always succeed, but I succeed mostly. And, you know, it gives you great freedom if you realise I'm, I'm wasting my energy worrying over something that I've absolutely no control over. So I don't waste that energy and I use it in, in another way. So certainly don't worry about things you've no control over. That's one pearl. Another one was, and again, this comes from my early days at the bar, focus on me. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. And again, that came from coming in without any connections, without any experience and... You, you could look around and see that, you know, your, your compatriots or your colleagues were getting lots of work, maybe, or you thought they were getting lots of work. And then you might begin to become insecure because you weren't getting the work. So again, it was focus on me, let everybody else paddle their own canoe, and I'll worry about me and nobody else. Number three is, I, I think it is, seize the moment, live for today. 
And that is something that you never know what's around the corner. Clearly, you have to plan for for the future. But I, I think it's important not to not to make the future your focus because you don't know what happens. Curveballs can come, good things can happen and, and, and things can go off in a different direction. So live, 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 you know, seize the moment. And I think then one that I touched on earlier was say yes and worry about how I'm going to do it afterwards. That's certainly one. And I think the last one is, is what I call my Scarlett O'Hara motto, which is tomorrow is always another day. What a great way to finish. Thank you so much. Um, you mentioned finances there earlier on. What's the best financial advice you ever got? Well, I think, um, Angie, I probably will have to pass on that one. <laughs> oh, because were you taught to save in a piggy bank or in your post office when well, you were I young? Was, or anything? I was. I had a post office account when I was a kid. But I, I, think, I, I think I'd be better off not giving people financial advice, to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough. And what about the environment? What do you do for the environment? I'm really, really conscious about the environment, helped, I think, by my, my son, who was very climate aware in, in, in primary school and still is. And I, I, I try, first of all, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a flexible vegetarian, so I, I try not to eat meat. I am very keen on using public transport when I can and, and leaving the car at home. I have a paperless practice. That's probably my, my, best, um, my best piece of work so that I, I, don't, I don't waste paper at all. I have a completely, I, I use computers, I, I have a digital practice and... That, that's, you know, I think that's what I'm doing, my bit for the planet, yes. That is some achievement, <laughs> particularly in law, because we assume it, you know, it's people carrying tons and tons of files around, you know. Yeah, I think it came from the fact that I was travelling up and down from Kilkenny to the four courts, and I needed to make sure that I had everything I needed with me. And it was an awful lot easier if you had it with you when it was up in the cloud. So I didn't have to worry about carrying paper files, saved my back because I wasn't lugging stuff around the place. And it meant I had access to anything I needed access to. So it was great. You mentioned there going out for walks with your dog. Do you listen to music when you walk or is music a thing in your life? And what do you use to motivate yourself? Music is a huge thing in my life, but actually I hate earphones. I've never actually got into the habit of wearing earphones. So when I go out for a walk with the dog, it's me, the dog and the traffic noise. But I actually think it's a really good time to actually just switch off. And, you know, you're just alone with your own thoughts. The dog doesn't really listen. Or if he does, I don't, he doesn't tell me he does. Our dog just wants the ball. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's his meditation and mine too, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I do, I love music. I mean, I would play a lot of music in the car. Um, I have a very eclectic taste in music, ranging from rock to blues to jazz to, I have a sister who's an opera director, so I listen to opera as well. I was brought up on classical music because my mother was a classical music fan. So yeah, it's a really, a really eclectic taste. Any go-to song in particular? It depends on the last thing I've heard, actually. So if, yeah, my son plays the piano, so he could be, I mean, he's big into Billy Joel and things like that. So if he's been playing the piano at home, that's my go-to. If I've been listening to something on the radio, no, I don't have a particular go-to. 
Sarah, thank you so much. Um, I was listening to the radio on the way in and I heard Malcolm McGowan explaining words in Irish and one of the things he said about feeling was that it came from uh, wolves. So you need to have that strength of a wolf <laughs> and it's somewhere in your history so I can see it coming out now. So thank you so much for doing that and for, for being a strong uh, advocate for people and for, for law and for gender diversity. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Angie. That was Sarah Phelan, the chair of the Bar Council of Ireland 2023, with big plans to make the bar a more welcoming place for women and to level the playing field for both men and women. Please like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We are also on Twitter at Leading Women Pod. And you can check out our back catalogue of fantastic guests on the website. And that's www.womeninleadership.ie. Until the next time, from me, Angie Mazzetti, and all on the Women in Leadership podcast team, goodbye and take care. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.